0: So this is what the
1: experiences right across Aboriginal Australia is all about. And that's what we're doing here in Sydney, New South Wales. So we want people to come and and hear our stories about how you can become those custodians because we need those to go into the future. For
2: visitors, if they're ever out of town or city or even travelling to one, keep an eye
0: out for an Indigenous experience and, and take it. You just heard a clip from my two guests today, Auntie Marg and Bart Pegram. You're going to hear more about them in a short bit. They are two indigenous Australians and travel experts who will be acting as our guides today on an epic audio journey to two beautiful areas of Australia that you'll be dying to visit after listening to this show. We're going to go to New South Wales in the southeast, then we're going to travel all the way to the other side of the continent to visit Western Australia, specifically Pilbara and the Kimberley region. Now, Australia is a country I've always wanted to visit, but never had the chance to, so this was a treat for me, and it's going to be a treat for you as well, because... I connected with Tourism Australia. They reached out, asked a partner up for an episode, and I thought, well, what better way to do it than to get their help finding two experts from two incredibly diverse regions and getting their advice, having them share their advice, their history, expert planning tips, and more so we can get the most out of our visit to Australia while discovering some hidden gems and revealing some new perspectives here. I'll explain a bit more about that in a moment, but when you're done listening to this episode and you're ready to plan your trip, just head over to Australia.com. They've got everything you need over there. That's an easy one to remember, Australia.com. So I want to thank Tourism Australia for helping to put together this episode and for their support today. And I was thrilled when they connected me with our two guests because they are both indigenous people of Australia who help travelers connect to the land through their unique stories their history, and their culture. And as a traveler, you want to have a deeper understanding of all the countries you visit, right? You want to have more authentic experiences. And one way to do that, a powerful way, is by immersing yourself into the stories and the places of the country's original inhabitants. That is what we're going to do today. You're absolutely going to love it. So get ready for an epic audio journey through Australia. Let's get it going. Buckle up, strap in, grab your favorite beverage, relax. Thanks for being here. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. And we're doing some traveling today. As you know, we're heading to Australia and I want to get right into it because our first stop is New South Wales. Now this is in the Southeastern part of Australia, which, by the way, is the sixth largest country in the world. So much to see there. And I'm humbled and honored to have Margaret Campbell with us today. She's our first guest. And in preparation for our chat, I learned that in Australia, addressing an Indigenous elder as auntie or uncle is a sign of respect. So that is why you'll hear me call her Auntie Marg from here on out. Auntie Marg is the founder, owner, and managing director of Dreamtime Southern X, which runs tours offering fascinating insights into Sydney's Aboriginal Dreamtime beginnings. And you'll hear about that in today's chat. And she's got some incredible stories to share. Learn about her tours and her work over at DreamTimeSouthernX.com.au That's DreamTimeSouthernX.com.au and I will leave these links in the show notes as well as the link to Australia.com for the trip planning resources. Now, here to share her wisdom and advice on travel in the New South Wales region of Australia as well as some of the historical and cultural significance of Indigenous people, I present Auntie Mark. Auntie Mark, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Well, thank you very much for inviting me to participate. Thrilled to have you here. I wanted to start here on your website. It says, quote, Integral to Margaret's cultural custodianship is her desire to ensure that the world's oldest continuous living culture is shared, explored, and respected, not just with all Australians, but beyond Australia. And I I was just wondering if you could share what it means to you to be in this role of a cultural custodian for the indigenous people of Australia.
1: Well, from the time of our being born into your homeland country, we've got here in the Sydney area where I'm currently got five Aboriginal language areas, and that is full of the natural environment, mainly sunrise and uh, saltwater areas. So the whole Australian continent is divided between those sort of um, natural environments. So Story is embedded deeply within the natural environment. Aboriginal culture is very much a part of nature. So when we're holding the knowledge, having been reared up in that sort of um component of uh, the environment, it takes um thousands and thousands and thousands of, of hours when you are being taught about what's in the landscape, uh, how to live and survive it and manage it and protect it and make sure that nothing is ever going to become endangered or threatened it's part of your family system. So that's the responsibility that we're caring for, not only just the environment, but our family systems within each ecosystem. So it's a huge responsibility.
0: And I feel like just reading a bit about your life story, in some ways, you've been doing this since you were young. You're working with the tour company now, of course, but you have a long history of cultural (laughs) custodianship. Can you share a little bit about what that experience has been for you and your life journey.
1: Yeah, we have a different role and responsibility, especially people who are the youngest within a biological immediate family system, and I happen to be that one. So you're bestowed knowledge holding from each of your elders and families within your your clan group. And in my case, six mothers and seven fathers, biological. Of course, I'm speaking about my mum's brothers and sisters and my dad's brothers and sisters. So any Aboriginal person in the age group that I am, and I'm in my 70s, Basically, that's how we were reared up so that you've got all this knowledge coming down from each of those elders, each in their own right custodianships of some aspect within that homeland country to align it with an agricultural background, an agricultural land management of a farm. Well, in our case, Aboriginal land management and farming and agricultural practices is where you were born in that area, usually in the old traditional ways in a a birthing waterways area so that your families then will record and pass on the knowledge to you in that environment. So in my case, I never got to go to a white school here in Australia until I was 12 years of age. So understanding about that in our Aboriginal schools when we were, you know, part of the exclusion white Australia policy here, that's how you got uh, advised and shared with each of those family members in each of their clan groups. So you would travel from one mother's camp area up to the next mother and father's camp area with the grandparents in tow. And all the children within those families would be part of the passing down of a knowledge. So in my case, the youngest, that's where a lot of the knowledge got given to me from both my my, uh, mother's people and my father's people on their grandfather's side as well as. So the 72 primary colours is what you get introduced to a natural world. And that's just... 72 seasons alone in one environment. Can you explain a little bit about that? Well, what you would call a, um, a season called winter, we're coming up here in Sydney, um, um, in South Wales at the winter, we've already got five or six actual um, seasonal change within the past week here. So that alone, when you are out in the farming aspects, moving and engaging in that environment in the old traditional ways, you are learning and focusing on that natural environment. So what is actually regarded as the natural environment or nature is in fact Aboriginal culture. So you, you you can connect in with that physical evidence space or that physical change of season as the big yellow wattle trees start to change and bloom into the colour yellow blooms and all those wattles coming out. So if you're born into that area where all those wattles are blooming, just to name one of the trees, families here, you inherit just by your being born in and around that area, an ecosystem, and then what other plants are there, what other animals, what other fish are coming out in that waterways connecting us. So that's what you are schooled in. It takes thousands and thousands of hours, and that's just one of the colours. Remember, 72 primary colours in the natural world for us, and the colour yellow coming out in the blossoms of the wattle is just one season.
0: Wow. What does that spiritual connection to the land mean to you personally?
1: Well, our spiritual connection with Mother Earth and in our uh, area here, we call it Malu, And uh, that's the local Sydney area, one of the languages here. So Mother Earth, once in her spiritual form, is a very tall, long, elongated, spiritual emu star woman character. And uh, when they danced in the sky world, what is now rebranded globally as the Milky Way for our purposes, in my language is called Modern Bayerta. That's when Mother Earth, along with all the other ancestral creation spirit custodians, danced and activated and dispersed in that dancing ceremony those 72 primary colors which you now see in the in the Milky Way. So Mother Earth's role in that was to just take all the colors of the land to do with the minerals or the rock geology, and also the trees. So her role when she danced and birthed what we refer to as all the colors of the trees, what's in the trees, and also the rocks and the soils and the uh, area where those trees are right across Australia in those respective language areas, bordered by big river systems, and other natural physical features, that's where all this customary idea of Aboriginal involvement and connections to the land, because we're tuned into when she danced, she created the heartbeats of the universe for us. So when we're doing all of that, we're actually connecting with her and her ancient stories before she then transformed into what we now know as the circular geometry of
0: Mother Earth you've seen a lot of changes in your lifetime. Of course, the internet being one of the biggest ones in the modern day. Uh, How much have those technologies changed, I guess, the relationship with the stories and the culture within the indigenous people? I mean, I'm not quite sure exactly how to ask this question, but I mean, it's a different time since when you grew up right now. So how is it in the modern day? And what is that like?
1: Well, modern day, I mean, we can see in Sydney alone, we've got a whole range of modernicity, big, tall buildings, big architectural differences. But what is the constant denominator is the natural world. Sun rises here, moon rises. We've still got rainy forecasts. So those natural elements are all colour-coded. So from our point of view, while it's changed in terms of the physical space changing and we've got new buildings, we've still got large pockets of big national parks, And whatever we've got a sun rising over Sydney and a moon rising over Sydney, uh, our culture remains very much intact. So sorting through the modernicity of a bustling modern city, what is underneath that, what's deeply embedded in that, is these ancient stories to deal with every one of those colours, going back to the wattles, and then uh, to expand upon that, what else lives in and around those wattle trees and those areas that involve the ecosystem. So... While there's been a lot of changes, the early aspects of those natural environmental landscapes and waterscapes are still here with us and that's what keeps us grounded and connected in terms of the natural world. Of course, we need to do a lot more in terms of managing and and, uh, taking care of those sort of environments because far too often when we're intruding upon and extracting resources from them, coal, um, iron ore, whatever it is that we are from our human needs point of view, while we need to have those technological um, innovations here to do with computer systems, what we're also seeing is when we put in our little computer chips or our SIM cards, or the little algorithms that we pinpoint on a piece of little technological advancement to get all this computer technology, the original source of that has been harvested from Mother Earth. So from the spiritual connections with that, you may see, I don't know whether your audience or your listeners are seeing Aboriginal people painted up. We get all sorts of colours over our faces and bodies. They are the same sort of colours that are probably still part of the advancement of the technology. So the spiritual communications are one and the same thing. We just use it differently by way of, as I say in my experiences, your little finger has got your little SIM card and it's no bigger than your, your fingernail. So when you insert that into the technological pieces of equipment, You get this capability like we're doing now to trans and to communicate over long distances so when we're taking that natural resource from the environment putting it on our bodies in our ceremonial dancing and acknowledgement and the celebration of what it is that we're doing as first nations custodians of this ancestral place here That's the connections that we will hold spiritually for us. And that's what holds us together in a modern world that is getting too far off into the material world.
0: Can you teach us about the Aboriginal dream time? This is something I've been reading about during the research and something that's really tied in with with your work and your worldview. So.
1: Well, the dream time starts out for people like when you are born into a little river waterways, um, by the very fact that you've been born into that area, there's usually um, a plethora of, of native plants and trees, flora and fauna. So our stories begin from that. And when we go to the creation of all of that, we get back to the sky world. So the spiritual connection with that, it's all about interpreting how that origin of the material world is manifested into the sky world been transitioned and transported to the natural, physical world of a a place called Earth, and when you go and break that down into the country and landscapes, the origin stories of that is what Dreamtime's all about because we can physically go for a swim in one of our Bondi beaches, our world-famous Bondi beach here, but when you are an Aboriginal person going into the waterways, you're still going to hold those stories about, hang on a moment, I'm going into one of the other family systems here. The sharks live there too. The whales are going to come by shortly, the dolphins. So it's a holistic attitude that we have in terms of dream time. Uh, Let me ask you and your listeners a question. If I was to ask you and say, who's in your family, you'd probably say to me, and I'll preempt what you're going to say, I've got three sisters, I've got 10 brothers, I've got two mothers and fathers, um, and I've got all my uncles and aunties, da-da-da-da-da. What most people will give you a similar explanation of that. So what you're describing to me is you've only got human beings in your family. For us, you've got those wattles. If you're born in that landscape, that becomes your biological family member. So the dreaming and the dream time encapsulates all that you are in that environment where you as a human are born, but you've you've come second in line to what's already there, flora, fauna. So you come in and inherit by your birth in that waterway area. And I'm actually talking about a maternity ward, an outdoor space where women have given birth for thousands and thousands of years. You inherit that, and that's your dreaming, that's your story, what you then will learn all about, and you will be bestowed that knowledge. So the dreaming and the dream time is ongoing for us because nature is basically the deliverer of that dreaming story for you. So, in other words, summarizing nature is our culture because it continues onwards in whatever seasons you belong to, those stories in the natural landscape are there. I don't know whether that makes any sense to you, but your your yeah. ecosystem
0: is your family. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a wonderful way to. Take the world in, you know? I mean, it's just having this conversation with you is is changing the way I'm thinking as I look outside right now. It's uh, really, really beautiful.
1: Well, it is. And so, getting back to your original story, when you are born into that landscape, that's what your elder family members, each who've been there for thousands and thousands of hours in each of their lifetimes, have accrued the same knowledge. They're passing it on and then transitioning into you. So, every child is empowered with that knowledge because. That ecosystem where you were born is still there in some shape, manner or form, despite our modern buildings and our world that we now know as a modern, advanced technological, you know, world, that natural element is still there. So they're all our families, flora and fauna. That's why you'll have 15 other than your immediate biological birth mothers and fathers and granddads and grandmums. So our families are made up of not just human beings, in other words. And
0: that's the difference you said you answered the question preemptively, but you were right. It's what I would have said, right? I would have just included humans and and this is just a completely different way to to think about that and you know I have two kids, Annie Marg I'm wondering, how do I teach them to have a special connection or, or a real connection with the land. I'll-
1: Jason, you can take them out onto the landscape and where they were born, where you were there. You can go at least 72 hours prior to the actual event when they arrived, in you know, five, six years ago, whatever, because I can assure you that Mother Earth, right at the time when each child, human child, is born into a space and place, whatever it is we call, she is equally still what we call that original ceremony in the sky, shedding in the landscape, the trees. And so a birthday for you. When's your birthday? What month of the year are you born,
0: Jason? My birthday was in December.
1: Well, December, if you want to go out 72 hours before your date of your arrival here, I will assure you that you can be able to see what Mother Earth is actually shedding or blooming or blossoming or leaves are falling or the bark on the tree is coming off. That is usually the time that those elders who are witnessing that birth And in my case, I said, I got six mothers and they're all watching and say, yes, I was there when Margaret was born. I can give testimony that she was born and Mother Earth was here blooming these seeds in that tree. So we're going to belong her to that. And forever, ever after, you'll have responsibility to look after that tree and its surrounding what lives in it. And you could have a koala bear, for instance. By that birthday and that right, you arriving at the time when those activities are going on in the natural world, you are belonged into it and you, therefore, have responsibility to make sure that system never becomes threatened or endangered or, in our case, extinct. So your day job, that you are moving up and around the areas where you are moving around that immediate surrounding area. It becomes, we never use the word work or job, but that's your responsibility, hence the word custodianship.
0: Hmm. And that's tied in directly with what was happening essentially three days before your birth, right? Yes. And that's how those responsibilities are assigned in your culture yes. in some
1: ways? Okay. It's all connected to that natural engagement of what's going on in the world. And that's what we make. That's how we explain the purpose and intention of how you've got flora and fauna living with you in the world. So when we've come into the world and they've already been allocated that space, when you go into our real spiritual dreaming stories of how creation evolved, and I can guarantee it's quite different to what other people around the world give in terms of um, religion or a spiritual connection to how that's explained, our stuff is still there. So from your birthday, that event alone, when a human born is into this world, in the physical world, that's already been there allocated, everything in that environment. You just come into it and therefore in our systems of family relationships, you then inherit that. That's your belonging to that space. So most human beings can acquire this knowledge just by going out. When you go people camping or walking in the park, have a look and see what Mother Earth is indicating to you. I will tell you she's birthing a plethora of seeds and leaves falling, a whole range. We call those activities of birthing, and that's your dreaming. So that's how our stories are connected to all aspects of the natural world. Beautiful.
0: Well, let's talk about region-specific, New South Wales. And, I mean, this is a popular place to go, of course, but I think it's a lot, a lot more uh, diversity than people maybe think on the surface. You know, why is this an area that people should travel to and what makes this region unique well
1: this area is uh is still in the sunrise area so we you know uh sunrises are still happening here moonrise is still happening here but it's also what we regard as aboriginal australians the uh, the where things really dramatically change for us from a marketing and a branding world global world what our stories have, have undergone is a is a big transformation with rebranding of this place called New South Wales. There are at least 25 Aboriginal languages, nations, and they are all got their individuals. Here in Sydney alone, we've got five Aboriginal languages, you know, the the Dharawal, the uh, Eora, the uh, Gundungara, the um, Dharawal people and the Darug people. They're all five Aboriginal nations within this area. So everything has been rebranded and marketed to the world with a non-Aboriginal story, so the reasons why we encourage people to come here into this area, this is what we call ground zero, if you want to use that phrase. Ground zero, very, you know, the the colonisation process here, where that rebranding occurred without consultation with us, and of course, other people describe it as invasion of the English population. So either way, there are different stories and diversities within that. So we encourage people to not only just come into the five language areas of Sydney and get an introduction to the remaining stories that have always been deeply embedded here, you can then transition to those and in further into New South Wales because we have never made any main amendments to our stories. It's all been rebranded by a civilization here that basically rejected everything about our ancestral lineages of the stories I've mentioned so that's one of the reasons why the tourism experience or the hospitality experience, when you hit New South Wales, you can meet people like me and my teams, and there's a lot of people like me here throughout New South Wales that are saying, hello, well, if you want to learn about my stories in, out back in the desert areas, well, come meet my family and we'll, we'll all share with you our stories. And it goes back to what I've been talking about. They're like biblical stories in each of those regions of New South Wales. It's an interesting diversity, and that's why people should at least come here and, and see what our stories are because they're still deeply embedded in those natural landscapes and skyscapes.
0: It's a great way to see a place too, right? I mean, you want, you want to be able to connect with a culture when you go visit a country and you have to understand the history and the culture as much as you can as an outsider, right? To, to kind of see it through a different lens. I feel like that's that's where those magical travel connections with with a place really happen when you can start to filter it through something that's part of the place,
1: which is absolutely. And you know we've got the saltwater beach coastal environments here, our big oceans and the big rivers which meanders from the hill areas, the mountain areas down into that area. when you go over to the you know to the mountains, you've got the big alpine areas, you've got the snow areas, you've got the desert, you've got the plains. There's a whole range of those diversity in our landscapes here. You want to go to the desert? We've got desert. It's hot out there. But again, story is still similar to what I'm talking about. And if you look at where the sun rises from when you come into New South Wales and you follow those ancestral custodians what have been rebranded moon and sun, and there's a whole range of things up there that are quite different in our cultural perspectives and through our gazes, when you travel that and you get that sunrise going over, it's almost like that particular geometry as you go over the plains, the mountains, into the deserts and that further rolling plains and the flat woodland areas, that's all story for us. And each of those have got their language code. So it's a diversity in New South Wales that you can get here without even having to go to other states. But again, if people are coming this far to Australia, There's no reason why you can't start with New South Wales and get the diversity of all those because we, there are elders like me, um, very similar, never got to go to a white school until we were 12 years of age. So that meant we were less contaminated in a different way of looking through the world and at the world. We were reared up in all those sorts of elements of what I've been describing to in some manner or form. So we're the custodian knowledge holders and that's what we're now boldly trying to do with the tourism and travel experience that you don't need to sign up and go to a 10 a, a week or a two week course or a weekend cultural, you know, training program. You can do it in an experience that's out on a camping, a glamping, a walkabout tour or a coachabout tour or just visiting a couple of hours in one of those areas. Our wineries and again alone, the food experience, will all have these Uh, stories that I'm talking about because Aboriginal elders and custodians and knowledge holders are still living in those areas. So New South Wales has got this extraordinary offering that we're encouraging people, when you come this long distance to Australia, come see us too.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Can you talk about some of those Maybe you can share a couple specific travel experiences that will allow travelers to experience unique Aboriginal culture, connect with the land in the way you're describing. And maybe you could just highlight a couple of your tours here. I mean, this might be a good place to share some specifics on like what, what people can do with you.
1: Well, we've got here in the coastal environment. You've got my little ninety-minute walkabout tours, where we'll take you to you know touch and connect with uh, just the basic fundamentals of tree culture, what's living in it, bird culture. You'll have the half a day coach tours. You've got things down about four hours south of here, where we can take you to our almost equivalency of the spiritual churches with a with a uh, two nights overnight camping in the coastal areas. These are spiritual realms and domains where you go up to these mountain areas and think, sugar. What am I looking at? And I can tell you it's much, much even more deeper than the places called Uluru in our interiors of Alice Springs and and Northern Territory. When you go beyond into the mountains, the alpine areas, you can not only just get the snow and the ski experience, but you're going to get that alpine river systems and visiting sacred sites in those areas. When you go beyond the alpine and those areas out into the big sandy deserts. There are uh, historical and heritage cultural tours where you can get in a, a coach tour. You can go all day An Aboriginal food menus there for you and you can be taken to the desert areas and see all this ancient heritage uh, digging es- escapes there. You can also go to another one similar. And so, I mean, talking, going back, you get the skeletal evidence of how Aboriginal people have been, you know, moving around that landscape, burial sites, um, uh, natural fish traps within the desert areas and the water still blooming there. You can go to another desert area on the coast and you can get on a quad bike and go over the similar sorts of sand dunes and the and the uh, the guides and the guidings there and the family will so, say, okay, let's pull up here. Now this is where we've been eating all our fish and we've been eating all our shellfish and our crustaceans and let's have an heritage experience about that. So, you know, it's all coupled with the food and the, and the actual flavours of our modern um, fusion of traditional Uh, you might be going out picking some some, uh, food from uh, one of those trees that I've been mentioning about your birthdays. So you could be grinding that all up. You could be going doing an art experience where you're going to be actual painting. So there's a diversity of all these. And what brings it all together is that when you are going to go out and eat some food, some of the elders will say to you, well, hang on a moment, because I was born at a time when this was, was seeding and we've harvested from that tree or that bush, I can't eat it because it's my family member. So you'll get thrust into that different gaze, and that's what heads you back to when we pull it all together. That's how we've had a sustainable connection with your family members because you cannot eat your family. So overriding the harvesting of bush food in an experience, say, when you've been walking country and you've, the tour operators are going to say, okay, let's, we're going to give you some Aboriginal food now for the meal today. They to explain that to you. So it all ties in with that. You cannot just go and harvest anything to eat because you have the responsibility to not eat your family. So cannibalism, if I could use that in inverted commas, doesn't just involve eating a human being in our system. It involves eating plant life that you must always take the oath of custodianship to ensure it's never become an endangered or a threatened species or family member. So all the diversity of those things are in each of those landscapes, desert, alpine, snow, big, big river systems where it's all still flowing through. And you can come here to the Sydney the the mountain areas. And in that, we've got such diversity of our rock engravings, our art sites, they're all there. And I can tell you that in Sydney alone, some of these rock engravings and art sites that we have out and from an archeological point of view, are dated at 40,000 up to 80,000 alone. So that puts us in in terms of human um, engagement with the natural environment as being the oldest human beings here in this area of the world that have been engaging with the environment, caring and protecting. So those experiences are all involved encompassing each of the stories from each of those environments, desert, rainforest, alpine, snow, and to the beach coastal areas.
0: Hmm. Great breakdown. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries. Two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash altitudego to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan pathfinder with seven drive modes the pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys and it even has the best towing capacity in its class up to 6,000 pounds so you can bring the fun with you but nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go in a pathfinder the real fun comes from getting there and that's something we love celebrating here on the zero to travel podcast we believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself and that's why We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. You know, as travelers, we want to support local businesses, small businesses in in the region, indigenous tour operators like yourself. I mean, what, what is your advice on that as people are traveling around Australia to make uh, the best impact that they can as visitors, Um, you know, try try to always leave the place better than we found it type of thing in that spirit. how, How do you recommend travelers go about doing that?
1: Well, we have some wonderful industry sources here, namely tourism Australia is connected with the discover Aboriginal experiences all throughout Australia and for the, each of the state-by-states, in our case, we have Destination New South Wales. And they work in, in harmony with all the Aboriginal uh, community groups and p- certainly the business world where people like me are there. So we've got those voices firmly established with those and we we can highlight through them that these are the legitimate and authentic programs that you can go into and, and uh, experience and visit. Uh, so we offer those protections there too as well. So people need to just check in. If you, if you can't punch up into the Aboriginal experiences in on your webpage, the first port of call would be to each of those statutory areas of governments of, of each of our states, and certainly in this case, Tourism Australia, because they have been working very hard over the last 20-odd years that I'm aware of, 25 years, just way before the Olympic Games, to establish that we get Aboriginal people working back into the economic development, because we've come from a, a total point of view where all that I'm talking with you about was initially rejected in those first 200 years of the engagements going on here in the east coast of Aboriginal people. So we've got taken that long to get, get out from a position of rejection to a, a, a position of reconciliation, and that's what we're doing now. So all under the, the partnerships of Twosim Australia, who feed in and network with the states, and into the Aboriginal Advisory and the business voices, which I'm part of here in New South Wales, we have each of those areas in each state that are all working to make sure the best authentic, high quality experiences are all there to be had by people coming into Australia. So you can get not only the white Australia, you know, a view of this world, but you can also get the Aboriginal point of view, the first human beings to ever engage with the natural environment.
0: Where do you think travel is heading here in twenty? 20- Twenty one and beyond. I mean, a lot's changed in the last year and a half, of course, year and a half-ish with the pandemic and everything. How are things looking on your end?
1: Well, in my specific case, I'm very encouraged by the local domestic market and it's taken the last probably um, uh, nine months here specifically as we've had to relax with our COVID restrictions And the groups that we can have out in in public places, et cetera, that's been slowly relaxed in terms of and the vaccination just recently has made that even more more possible for us. So I'm actually now entertaining the local uh, corporate Australians and school markets who are coming booking me. And I suspect that's the case with a lot of other other people. Our campaigns from Tourism Australia, you know, is uh, come visit here. That's really taken off and also each of the states. So we're very lucky that we've been able to uh, get our local uh, domestic markets coming to do that. I'm actually taking bookings already from the overseas global market and uh, they're booking for November, October, November, December 2022. Now that's with the hope that we have our borders opened and COVID restrictions are going to be a lot more relaxed. Everyone's receiving their vaccinations. So I'm very optimistic about how this will, the world has been given in our spiritual gaze of all of this, a big wake-up call. And it's not just with the big heat conditions, the drought conditions, the fire conditions, the flooding conditions. They're all what we regard as Aboriginal people, spirit emails, Jason. That's the only way (laughs) we can describe it because the custodianship of each of those is very much a part of, remember, the natural world. So I'm very optimistic that we've been given as human beings around the world a bit of a wake-up call with just little COVID um, to be able to say if you don't stop managing and start properly looking at the custodianship of where you were born and your birthday elements of where we've originally given you this world to look after, we are very optimistic about that. Of course, there's a lot of work to do in terms of our economic um, you know, recovery as Aboriginal people who once really thrived here in our economics by ourselves. So we're still managing all that through the Reconciliation Action Plans of Australian corporates and general government. Um, And of course, we're gonna deal with uh, the big one here at all uh, is, um, and I don't wanna talk about the politics, but we still don't have a voice to parliament here as well as. So as we engage and get these knowledges through those systems of governments, with Tourism Australia and the state tourism bodies, they are acting as a very, very strong connection point for other wider government agencies who are yet to learn that we can work together through tourism. And this is how Aboriginal Australia will be part of the recovery as we go get into our business. And get back to our old Aboriginal trading techniques because we are trading with our knowledges in the experiences that we're describing to you in each of our programs in the States.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And kind of tying in with that, one of your missions, or I should say your life's mission, as I was reading on your website, is to build a legacy for all children to see and inherit an Australian landscape as rich in the Dreamtime as it has always been and will always be. It's a beautiful mission. Choosing tourism and, and experiences and education in, in that way is a part of that. Why that right now for you? Why is that the way to? to to do it.
1: For me, um, when I originally started in, in a career, I was a classroom teacher indoors and I and I tried in my career when I became that, having my own children and grandchildren to rear. We are the best teachers of all. So for me, tourism presented another outdoor classroom, and it's fiddled with all these seasons that we have. So for me, the transition coming and doing a career pathway. Um, I was only getting to the knowledge systems and sharing with people who were enrolled in a classroom program or a, a university degree. So I was teaching in all those indoor classrooms. It meant the rest of the world was not accessing that. So for me, when I made the changes into going to the outdoor classrooms on any one of our seasons, it seemed to me a good mix to be able to say, well, I can point out the living aspect of that birthday by walking you up to a tree in downtown Sydney and say, look, our mother earth is still shedding. And here it is. So if you were born here right now, I would belong you to that. So that's the environmental messages that our knowledge systems are. So for me, it was an easy transition coming from an indoor classroom and to an outdoor classroom. And it just meant tourism fitted that perfect category for me because it meant that we could get to wider audiences who were coming here and you didn't have to be an international student to enrol in an English class or a, a temporary, you know, a visa, come and visiting, enrolling in a three-month program in a university program. It meant you can get access to all these operations. So we've led the field here in Sydney, New South Wales, to uh, deal with the sunset people, which is in the Western Australians. Of course, we identify them, Jason, just out of interest. If you were born here, you have the identity sunrise people. And as the moon and sun goes over, you're the sunset people. So in your description of your identity along with your birthday tree or bush, you got the identity. But, you know, salt water here, sunrise, over there, sunset, salt water. So they're your environmental identity. So teaching about that in an outdoor living application, people who are visiting to say, oh, so is that why you um, are so connected? Is that why you have that Aboriginal flag on your on your, um, you know, that geometrics on your Aboriginal flag. So they're all the sorts of things that people say, why have you got a different flag to the Australian flag? All that sort of comes into play when you're looking at how we've geometrically designed that circle on our our Aboriginal flag, red, black and yellow. So, um, uh, you know, optimism for Aboriginal people while we are dealing with our sovereignty issues here and our treaty issues, tourism, again, for people like me, has been a very balanced and a very peaceful way of saying, well, if you want to understand us as the first engages with the natural world, and we've been doing this for all our lives, um, you know, uh, it makes sense to be able to share that with people who are just visiting on short term or that decide to move here and enrol in the classes and, of university or schools because all our Aboriginal knowledge owners are all working in those to the best that they can as well as. So it's a win-win for all parties, including the tourism industry and hospitality, because there's a plethora now of Aboriginal people, not just in New South Wales, but certainly here in New South Wales, that we're now building those bridges and recovering within our own jobs. And what better system to have the product knowledge that we don't have to go and learn a degree about, because we read up with it as our family members. So that's been the very easy transition for me to teach outdoors and I love doing it. You can tell that I'm passionate about sharing the knowledge. And uh, the team that I pass on directly, I had people today, and I said to one of my senior guides, oh, it's raining. Um, and I actually described it to my clients who were listening. Oh, this is all uh, by Arminyala. He's coming down making love with Mother Earth today, and I think you call it rain. And the, the group that I had said, What? What are you talking about? I said, well, okay, let's come come with me on the Walkabout Tour. And the rain was coming down gently. So I demystified that natural daily event of what is classified and rebranded around the world. And human beings said, oh, well, let's just call it rain. For us, it's something much deeper. So that's why it's so easy for the tourism industry when we're interpreting this natural world to say to people, if you want to get into the environmental protection, you want to be a lot more sustainable. What better way is to treat that environment where you were born and lived and reared as your family? That's the messages that tourism allows us as Aboriginal people to share with the world.
0: Yeah, and, and your role as a teacher really has, has has been able to spread that, you know.
1: Jason, I have to tell you, I'm a hopeless painter. I've got all my family members who paint beautiful, but I am the worst Aboriginal painter, so I tell the stories.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a great storyteller, so. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Do you have any final words of wisdom for travelers heading to Australia, advice or best practices, anything
1: yeah we've we've really, as as um citizens of the world, we've really become a lot more you know um, connected with our natural world, and our mother earth is in so dire need in certain parts of our world. When you come to this place that we call Australia now and New South Wales, and more importantly where I am Sydney, um we want the world to be able to understand what the importance of all of our roles are. We want to be able to build, a world where everyone's a custodian. So starting out with my knowledge and your introduction to me as a custodianship, if I can say that to the listeners, that your role as a custodian is there waiting for you. So when you want to know how, the hows and the whens and and the who to actually connect and activate that for you, it's highly likely that when you go and visit an Aboriginal tour experience or hospitality food experience, they will put you on the pathway to go and see and how to make those connections because our world is in need of more custodians. So this is what the experiences right across Aboriginal Australia is all about. And that's what we're doing here in Sydney, New South Wales. So we want people to come and, and hear our stories about how you can become those custodians because we need those to go into the future. Our world, our Mother Earth needs it all.
0: Wonderful and important work, and we thank you and honor you for, for doing it. So thank you so very much, and I uh, really appreciate your time today sharing your wisdom and your perspectives here.
1: Thank you very much, Jason. I really appreciated you know uh, it doing this with you, and I got so excited when uh, Isabel and the, the team connected me way, way back. So I'm just happy that it's all come down really good. So thank you again, and uh, we look forward to when you come here, come meet me, and I'll take you personally around with your family and we'll take you around, okay?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm taking you up on that. <laughs> and Isabel, that goes
1: for you too, as well as, okay?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Jason. You You're have perfect. a lovely, and uh,
1: safe time over there, okay?
0: <laughs> you too. Take care. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much, Auntie Mark. What a wonderful human being, wonderful soul, and Uh, I so enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for allowing us to experience New South Wales through your culture, through your eyes, through your experiences. Very much appreciated. Now it's time to hop in the car, take a short drive northwest from Sydney. We're going to travel a mere 47 hours on this drive, 4,474 kilometers to Broome. In Western Australia, to meet up with Bart Pegram. Bart is the founder of Gnarly Gia Cultural Tours, and you can learn more at toursbroom.com.au. Toursbroom, that's B R O O M E.com.au. I will leave that link in the show notes as well. Bart is a Yawaru man from the West Kimberley region of Northwest Australia, born and bred. In Broome. He has a passion for telling the complete story of life in Broome. And Bart started Narligia Tours in 2015. Narligia means true for you, by the way, in the Yawaru Australian Aboriginal language, reflecting Bart's wish to tell the entire story, sharing his Aboriginal and multicultural perspectives firsthand. And we're lucky to have him here today because he's going to do the same for us as he takes us on a little audio journey through his neck of the woods in Australia. Now, here's Bart. Bart Pegram, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. How are you doing today? Very good. How are you, Jason? I'm good. Thanks for taking the time. So I want to start with where you grew up, which is Broome in Western Australia. I think that's a good place. I mean, what's it like growing up in that area?
2: I think we're very privileged here. We, we've we've got a great social history here, um, and that's due to the, the, the industry, the pearling industry and then uh, and, and other industries. But it was more so the pearling industry or the pearl shell industry that brought a lot of Asian influence to the area. I mean, we, at at one point in time, you know we out you know the Asian crews outnumbered uh, something ridiculous to to Aboriginal people and, and European presence in in the broom Broome area. So it's it's always been a melting pot of cultures uh, over the last hundred and forty years. So it, it's just been so community uh, community focused.'ve um, We've we respected each other. Um, some old families of brooms still to this day. Remember the days of sharing meals around different houses and different backyard parties and social gatherings and um, going to the Malay camps or going to the Japanese camps or the Chinese camps and just uh just eating different food sources and so on and and it, it was really a, a a harmonious place to live in for me it became a bit more uh touristy um, if you like and so i we, we sort of saw the first or the second wave of of tourism interest in Broome. And uh, I grew up with that. And funnily enough, now I'm a tour guide.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk about that, of course, because I want to hear about some of the tours you have and you know, why you made that decision. But I think a good place to start because you mentioned the pearling industry. And I read that you belong to a long tradition of pearling workers and musicians, which is a combination I've never seen before in a sentence. Can, can you talk about what that tradition means to you personally?
2: You know, that it goes a lot deeper than the actual pearl shell industry, the commercial pearl shell industry that, that sort of began in Broome about 140 years ago. Also, I'm also an Indigenous person of this area and the Dampier Peninsula region and there's, you know, we've had practices with pearl shell, uh, the pearling meat, but also the shell itself for thousands and thousands of years. So it's it's, it's a culture that is, that it's a pearl shell culture in a sense and, and it's it sort of came to be a musical side when the Filipino influence came through the pearling industry and and married my Aboriginal great grandmothers, and and then so the Filipino, the singing, the the, the church sort of hymns and so on, um, sort of evolved several generations later to to my father's generation, and they became you know some one of Broom's iconic musical collectives uh, called the Piglin Brothers, Scrap Metal, The Cuckles. Um, those bands are very, very well known in Broome and the Kimberley region. And, and so it was just the, the ancient pearling culture that we've been a part of as, as indigenous people. It just emanates through our music, really. What do you play? I'm in several different groups. So uh, I'm in a trio that I play the acoustic and electric guitar, pretty much rhythm based. Uh, with a finger picking uh, folky style that actually is influenced from Mississippi John Hurt. Uh, oh, really? The okay. 20s. Uh, uh, my dad was heavily influenced by by that, some of John Hurt Mississippi John Hurt's songs, and and I've f- followed on that uh, that style of finger picking. But then you know, bringing along some. Uh, i mean, a reggae band as well, so reggae roots uh, where I play the electric uh, rhythm guitar, and so it's it's just a mix, and really those those influences truly came from my dad's generation, uh, through the sixties, seventies and eighties, really.
0: Yeah. That's you grew up with a mix of cultures and it sounds like that spilled over into your music, right? Definitely, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> you mentioned becoming a tour guide and that I feel like that's another level of pride in some ways in, in an area, right? I mean, there are a lot of careers you can go into, but you choose to go into something that Gives you the opportunity to highlight the region you grew up in, the tradition behind it, the history, the culture. Just talk about that. Why? Why did you choose this path?
2: I chose to do uh, tourism pretty much about five or six years ago when I first stepped foot onto my first tourism experience in Broome. Believe it or not, uh, which was a, a a heritage trail that was uh, that has been facilitated by um, an Aboriginal family group here, a coastal group called Galarabaloo. And they've been running this this heritage trail for, you know, over 30 years, I believe. And it was the first time I had actually been on the trail. I've been to the locations growing up along the coastline and and so on, but not actually walking the entire seven, eight-day trail. And it was such an eye-opener for me to see non-Indigenous people engaging so intimately with... Traditional custodians um, and and fully embracing the culture, uh, the knowledge, you know, the the environment, um, the food, uh, the hunting practices. It was it was an eye opener for me, and I thought that's you know that is true reconciliation in in practice there, and it just made me realise how beautiful and rich our culture here is, and and how how healthy and fascinating our natural landscape is, which our culture is embedded in. So it, it just opened my eyes up and it sort of inspired me to, to find some job, some work, some career pathway into that particular activity. So I, I did. Um, there was a lot of opportunity, a lot of demand in Broome for Indigenous tourism, which uh, to this day we only still have a, a few Indigenous operators. Um, and I'm one of those. So once I did it, it was a bit daunting at first because uh, it was a new world for me. Um, I never ever thought or believed I would be a tour guide. The you know the first year or so was you know, I was quite anxious about doing the tours. You know whether I'm doing, do I have enough content? Um, are they going to like it? You know is it going to be well received and and will it will it continue? Am I doing the right thing? So over a year of doing that and, and still consulting with some of the elders and getting the right locations and telling the right stories it it became really really enjoyable and i i think i'm going to be a tour guide for the next 10 20 years in some capacity really whether that's my own business or some some other operations but it's just such a it's such a a joy to to connect with people um in in a true sense of of Broome.
0: yeah and you mentioned there weren't as many indigenous tour operators. That's a really important point, I think, as well, because you're coming at it with a, a different perspective and, d- and different stories. And how, how those stories tie in with the region? I mean, can we talk about using that as sort of a foundation? Can we talk about the region itself in terms of Western Australia and Pilbara and the Kimberley region and how you know wh- why people should visit there first of all, and 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 maybe your connection to that region your people's connection to that region and how they can experience that through you you know as indigenous people we've got
2: this true spiritual connection it starts off with the spiritual connection which which is you know through our ancestors it's gone on for generations upon generations and for some people it's unbroken for some it's been damaged that connection and some have you know fixed and and repaired that damage and and after have reconnected with it. For me, and, and, and other tour guides will say that they they just uh, have the ancestral connection, the, the spiritual connection that ties us to the land. Whether we're in the Pilbara, whether we're in the Kimberley, wherever we are, as Indigenous people, we, the first connection for us is that spiritual connection. If we are then able to embody the culture and, and share it appropriately, then... That gives us an extra joy. The the Pilbara region has, you know, some of the oldest evidence of life form uh, in the world. Uh, You know, we're talking about I think it's 3 billion years or so. Um, And then they've got ancient rock arts which span tens of thousands of years old. Um, Then you come up to the Kimberley region and, you know, we've got 130 million-year-old dinosaur footprints scattered all along that coastline. And you can, you can imagine that each and every single one of those stories and those footprints, those rock formations, those paintings, those carvings, they were first ever discovered and seen by our people as the first people of this country. And so for thousands and thousands of years, we've told that same story, which to me, that's, even as an Indigenous person, that's, that's, an, amazing, that's an amazing story. You know? That's an amazing attraction. Then you've got the actual physical, the visual beauty of our sunsets, our staircase to the moons, our, our diverse landscapes uh, from, you know, from, the, from the hills to the mountains to the sand dunes to the red cliffs to the beautiful blue turquoise waters of Broome, Robot Bay. Uh, we've pretty much got everything up here. Then you come into the more recent history, which is also fascinating because you've got, you've got the pearling industry, you've got the pastoral industry, um, now we have the mining industry with, with all its amazing resources that are demanded all around the world, pretty much we've got it all. Uh, there's not much you can't do in Broome. There's just so much to do. I,
0: I wanted to hear about your tours. I think that's another place that we can kind of start a new conversation around some of the specifics, uh, around what people can see when they come out there. Cause I know you do heritage and, and cultural tours. You know, from the biodiversity and, like you mentioned, there's all the stuff in the with the lands and the people, and that combinations. But I think uh, just sharing some of the things that people can see when they come and visit and meet you after hearing you on this podcast, then uh, what are they going to see? What are some of the things that we can do?
2: Well, I've I've trimmed down most of my tours um, of late, and I I I believe that the the most attractive. An enjoyable one for my guests is the Mangrove Tour. Um, so it's called the Mangrove Discovery Experience and it basically is that. Uh, we will take a two-hour walk, um, just a stone's throw away from the CBD of Broome. Uh, it's another world and you're just skipping over a sand dune pretty much and you see no more buildings. You're amongst an amazing low-tidal ecosystem um, with marine animals and plants everywhere, uh, from small crabs to big crabs to very, very venomous amphibious snakes. Uh, you, you've got mudskippers, you've got uh, starfish, you've got turtles that may get stuck in pools. That is, is pretty much a natural nursery um, that houses thousands and thousands of fish and crabs. And then we head out to Bruins' sort of only island-looking thing because we don't have any island around Broome, and just head out to that that location, and that location then has a, a fascinating historical re- resemblance, really, because it is it basically is the view of what the first settlers and the first pearlers uh, truly saw when they arrived to the Broome, uh, to the to the creek where Broome was established. It gives a nice range of cultural, uh, ecological, and historical background and I think that's, and that's where my passion lies is, is those three things coming together in one, one experience. Uh, that also ties into the Staircase to the Moon tour which I deliver uh, on a monthly basis, uh, two nights um, every month and we, we tie in the Mangrove tour with the added phenomena of the Staircase to the Moon which is basically The moon at its fullest rising just at nightfall or nighttime and reflecting off the low tidal pools and streams of Roebuck Bay, which which gives off this wonderful view looking like steps to the moon. Thousands of people come to Broome around that particular time just to watch that staircase. I do it more exclusively with people getting them front row seats out to that island and enjoying the. Everybody, thousands and thousands of people, the entire township actually, sitting several hundred meters behind us. That's one of the enjoyable
0: things. That sounds epic. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago. And immediately I was sold. I had to get one AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years. I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, So they also make an exceptional gift, thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. What a joy to be able to share that with people as well. What's that like for you, bringing people from all over the world together to see these things for the first time?
2: Yeah, for me, uh, bringing people all over the world, it, it's it is... It, it it makes my day. Um, you know, it's only a two or three and a half hour tour, two or two and a half hour tour um, at times, and in that time, and then hearing you know the the feedback from, from everybody, and you know whether it's sometimes I've made their entire broom trip. Um, that's that's what I aim for. It is it is a on truly a a pleasure and an honor to be able to share what my ancestors have shared. Um, and have, you know, looked after and cared for the region, the area, uh, certain fishing spots and locations, um, but still carrying on those stories that, um, that we've always been proud of. Hmm.
0: Can you share one of your favorite stories from the area?
2: Yeah, um, I, I, would, I would love to share uh, the, the area where I take a tour. Uh, it's a Dreamtime story, so it's one of the oldest stories of the region um and it, and it, we don't know when it was you know conceived uh we always say bugari Gara, which is dream time in our language comes from time before time began so we have no date for these stories um but they would have been the earliest conceptions of how things were created and we we've got this story of where a leader a man uh who must have been very very high uh in authority and he had a wife that uh that he lived on a on a hill uh where this area where i do this tours and uh he would he would ask his wife to go across the creek and to some very very significant waterholes to our east and uh to bring the water back to feed water to him and and the rest of the people that lived on the hill and uh, the the story is basically the journey of this lady coming back with the, the carriage of water, which was a baler shell. Um, and as coastal people, we used a lot of shell uh, as tools and as carrying vessels and uh, as art canvases as well. And so she carries this binga or baler shell back with her. And and along her journey, certain things happen and, and she set, tends to drop a lot of water. So water falls out of the binga, the, the baler shell, hits the ground, and we believe in Wugarigarra, that is the moment where these springs were created. So we've got a long trail um, heading back towards town and, and into the Broome CBD area where these water holes have been created by this journey of this lady carrying water in a baler shell. Um, so it links up all the waterholes. It links up a place called Jugogun, which is named after the lady carrying the water. And it also links up with the hill where they once lived, which is Gun, which is the name of the old man that lived there, Dir. So it's a high hill, one of the highest hills in Broome, that we get to tell this story. We get to map this story with the actual visual. Um, and it's one of my favourite stories. Uh, the, and the beauty about telling that story and being able to share it with my children is that my daughter can, uh, can tell that story and she's only uh, eight years old. Um, so, an eight-year-old telling a, a story that dates back thousands and thousands of years ago—we don't know when—is a pretty special, it's a pretty special, and proud moment for me. It really,
0: it, that's a big part of your culture, right? Yeah. Passing down stories. Yep, exactly. How many kids do you have? Uh, I've I've got six. Um, oh so wow! Got, yeah,
2: a few, um, and they <laughs> there's, they range in different uh, from ages from 15 down to. Down to three or four. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of them are, are really, really interested in, in a lot of these stories. A lot of them are quite athletic, so some of them are distracted with sports and other things. Um, but the beauty about Indigenous tourism is that, you know, our culture is practiced just as much as it is a, an industry and it and is a, a career. Um, but we are able to maintain our cultural values and and responsibilities through Indigenous tourism because we have to share with our kids um, and we can bring our kids on the tour, say during the holidays or, you know, um, afternoon tours or morning, early morning tours, weekend tours. So we're able to do that and we're able to thrust our kids into this, this cultural world and, and they, get, they get to absorb it and, and continue it on, which is vital to our culture.
0: Yeah, I mean, is that a a driver for you personally as well? Just to kind of be a steward in the way that you've chosen, and know that you're you're kind of contributing to the next generation in some ways.
2: Yes, it is definitely. Uh, I I know from my my other half of my family, my maternal side of the family, uh, we were tragically. My grandmother was tragically uh, taken away as part of the stolen generation. Uh, which is a massive story in our, in our, in Australia's history. I know personally that uh, of what it's like to not have culture and identity, and and to to, to be told the stories from my other grandmother's region, uh, to speak the language of the my grandmother's region, uh, to be spiritually connected to that country of my grandmother's region, and and so for me, growing up in Broome and being being raised in that continuous spiritual connection to this area um i know what it's like to have it and what it's not like to have it and and so i i i I probably overcompensate the survival of our culture but I, i i really have a strong passion of continuing it on because i know what it's like and how fragile it can be that it can disappear
0: i wanted to hear a little bit about the traditional food I've read somewhere you sample traditional bush foods on some of these tours. I'm not sure if that's still the case. Yeah, what are some of the traditional dishes that we have to try if we're in the area because uh, you know, you can't separate food out from from the cultural experience, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, so our our food um over again going back to the 140 years of Asian influence. A lot of our cooking um and and dishes, recipes now uh have evolved into a, a wonderful mix of Australian and Asian cuisine uh, and indigenous cuisine too. So we've obviously maintained our our cultural practices of of hunting and gathering traditional native foods but then applying Asian recipes and and ingredients to that native food so and that's a, that's a that's a really unique mix. Um, I'm not sure if that occurs anywhere else but it, it definitely has been happening in Broome. There's that component and there's a, there's actually a wonderful place called Chai Mai uh, that's just uh, recently opened up and, and they've got my grandmother's recipe, which is a fish soup uh, and rice. It's basically a, an Asian broth um, and uh, very he- heavily Asian influenced and and, and they actually have the, the recipe there. So there's a restaurant in Broome that does my own family's dish Um so there's there's that sort of component, but then there's the traditional bush, bush fruits, bush medicines, and bush tucker. So we uh, obviously our, the, our tours are more environmentally focused, you know, in the in the in the wild. And so if there's we've got six seasons, so amongst those six seasons, we have to we'll identify the, the fruits that we can actually pick and try at that time. Um, even the different seafoods that we'd be able to, to come across in the mangrove tour, uh, it may be a pippy shell, it may be a cockle shell, it may be another type of razor clam or, or lee shell, which is a baby pearl shell. Um, any one of those at the time we should be eating it, I'll probably um, decide to chuck it on the fire and cook it exactly how our ancestors cooked it. Nothing spectacular but truly authentic and and i think that's a more important experience than uh than you know making it look fancy and and so on i think straight from the ocean straight into the coals the fire if it's the mud crabs so be it um and then eating it right there and then you can't get any fresher
0: mm no <laughs> it's like yeah you can go to the restaurant and see oh the daily catch or whatever but still this is the ultimate in freshness right yeah, yeah. <laughs> right out yeah you mentioned the environmental component let's talk a bit about sustainability and the importance of that in in tourism and just in the region as a whole
2: brooms environment is uh is i think it's subtropical um and and it's a beautiful place. We have our, our wonderful coastline lined with wonderful large white sand dunes, uh, which consist of several major, major shell middens. And shell middens are uh, is, is sort of just archaeological sites of shells of different variations and, and somewhat uh, they're feeding grounds um, of of thousands of years ago or hundreds of years ago. And you generally find artefacts in the same area. So... Uh, that's the sand dunes. Then you've got our beautiful red cliffs. But on the back of those, um, obviously you've got the Indian Ocean, but on the back, on the other side of those sand dunes, is is the monsoon of vine thickets, um, which is which another term we could say, balumai, which is many tree fruits, uh, many bush fruits. Um, so that area there is just it, it's terribly important to – the structure of those sand dunes. So we always try and look after the plants who will look after or the vines and the, and the root systems that will look after the sand dunes and their structure. Uh, if we were to remove all the trees um, and the vines and just and just completely destroy that, we will see the, the, the sand dunes getting lower and lower and, and starting to shift, um, which then exposes the township itself to stronger westerly winds and cyclonic winds, which we don't want, obviously. Um, so there, there's a bigger story behind it, but it's also an ancient story to look after our environment because it has been sustaining us through the foods, through the animals, the flora and fauna. Um, you know, our bird life is crazy up here. I was out at the lake last uh, yesterday, and I've never seen the lake so full Maybe it's because of the rain, maybe because it's the groundwater also contributing to that. But there were birds, there was hundreds of magpie geese, brolgars everywhere, ducks everywhere, pelicans were even there. Um, It's just a a wonderfully rich environment and I've been a part uh, of of a lot of advocating for the country and and the uh, sustainability of of our industries um, because it's like I said before, embedded in our culture, but it's a beautiful, world-renowned area. Um, that's why you have Roebuck Bay, which is uh, a UNESCO site. Um, if if birds have a small brain, that they can fly from Siberia to get to Broome, isn't that uh, amazing? That's that's got to be a, that's how that happens. Is beyond me, but it, even if, even birds appreciate. Broom from
0: Siberia,
2: uh, so you can imagine how important this area is uh, ecologically, environmentally.
0: Yeah, if uh, if it's good enough for the birds from Siberia, then come on, folks, get get down for a visit, <laughs> or or up, I guess if you're in Australia. How can we as travelers support local businesses and small businesses, and really support the area and be be good travelers ourselves? Uh visitors, you know,
2: we, we are visitors to Broome and the Kimberley and, and the entire state. Um, you know, WA is starting to realise now that we, we are one of the best beautifully diverse landscapes in Australia and possibly the world. I've already mentioned, you know, the 40,000 years of rock art, 40 plus maybe. Um, the 130 million year old dinosaur footprints, the, the wonderful gorges and ranges that we have, the the earliest life form on the planet, and so on. Just getting out and and really seeking, uh, not so much the, the largely marketed experiences, because a lot of people do um, just flick past a lot of the uh, the smaller operators and the uh, So if you can get a taste of the large, large operations, fantastic. Um, But then try and catch one of the the smaller operators because you tend to see the smaller operators digging a bit deeper into some really hidden secrets of of Western Australia. Uh, We've seen that with Walter Maguire down in Perth, you know, highlighting the Indigenous significance of a lot of the places like Kings Park and Elizabeth Quay and other places. He's actually taught me a lot. Uh, and i 've lived in Perth a couple of years, and I never knew this the certain significance that he 's already taught me um, so even indigenous people can be somewhat oblivious to uh, how wonderful uh, different areas are not only visitors, not only visitors to w a but everybody that is crossing the state uh, going to different locations, try and seek out those really really uh, those hidden gems and It will definitely increase, obviously, the operator's um, activity, but
0: it it gives a lot more to the visitor. It sounds like uh, there are plenty of opportunities to find some hidden gems in the area, (laughs) for sure. What are some of the biggest life lessons and or travel skills we can learn from Aboriginal Australians? I think the number one thing is that as when when we
2: say Aboriginal or Indigenous Australians, we tend to think that it's it's a one whole culture, and we all practice the same thing. Uh, we all we all play the didgeridoo, which is very untrue. Um, you know, we, we speak the same language, very untrue. You know, there was something like two hundred and fifty languages that was once spoken fluently and, and strong in, in Australia in, on this land by Aboriginal people. But the environment, because of its diversity, the environment has basically determined our practices, our tools that we made, the food that we ate. Uh, so when we say that our culture comes from this and our, our particular country or the environment, it is. It's, uh, it was born there. Our language was born there uh, and may stretch across other parts of, of the, the particular region. But you'll see that our cultural practice is like playing the didgeridoo. Um, we don't play the didgeridoo here in Broome. We have people that do play the didgeridoo, but in a traditional practice sense, we, it's not an instrument from this region. All the way up through the Danby Peninsula, it's not an instrument from this region. Uh, in the Pilbara region, I believe it's not an instrument from that region. Uh, so it's funny, you know, people say, oh, are you gonna, can you play the didgeridoo? I say, No because it's, not, it's never practiced here. Um, so you'll find in, in all the Indigenous cultural activities um, and tours, uh, try and embrace and absorb everything from it. Don't think if you've done one Indigenous tour experience um, that you've done them all. Uh, it will be different. The language, the fruit, the food, the, the social history will be different because none of them, are exactly the same.
0: I think that's a hugely important point <laughs> you just made. Because, uh, yeah, I think it, as humans, our tendency sometimes can be to just sort of for, uh, maybe it's just the way our brains work or something. Sometimes it's just like, okay, you know, yeah, I did this. I took all this in and and, and now I've categorized that as this thing. Whereas, you know, what you're saying is, obviously there's an eclectic mix within the culture and you should travel around and experience it in different places because it's different everywhere (laughs) essentially and it's just important to remember as travelers as well I mean it's it's another reason to kind of yeah keep keep learning right I mean certainly one of your big jobs is as a a tour guide to keep learning right you kind of have to be an expert in everything so I got to give you some uh some props there because that's no small thing. It'd be, you know, got to learn biology and you know nature and all this stuff. There's quite a lot to learn. So, uh, yeah. especially if you're going to share it with somebody. <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: well, th- that's that's what you find throughout all our our cultures will will be similar. Is that we have to learn biology, uh, we have to learn astrology, uh, we have to learn, um, you know, the weather. We have to be weathermen. And women, um, because we're watching the seasons. You know, we're watching. We're feeling the breeze, or with the wind direction. Uh, we're looking at seasonal indicators, which is flowers, or uh, dragonflies, or mosquitoes. Or we know that this—that's the time of the year that these things will come around. So we know what to expect. Uh, but we know what to, which is going to follow on from that as well. So it's—you're uh, right. That's one similarity that people will find. Um, that a lot of us a lot of our our cultural experiences uh, we we have to have a broad knowledge of all different uh, ologies if you like
0: yeah yeah (laughs) it's a good way to put it yeah i I think that's a lost art in some ways right i mean to be able to walk outside and you know instead of using google look around and say okay you know there's a a dragonfly, and that you know that means it's this time of year, and that means this, and it's connected this way, and uh, it's certainly something I aspire to to learn myself to kind of be more in touch with nature in that way, where you can walk out and take things in with your own eyes and understand what they mean to the bigger picture. It's it's really cool. <laughs> yeah, in regards to the fires, I mean, I know there's there's been. Have been a lot of fires in Australia recently. Is there uh, some Australian Aboriginal practices to combat fire season in the remote areas? Definitely. The, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, and I'm I'm not sure
2: why this doesn't occur. Um, but the, the the fires you're probably referring to uh, are the dangerous ones that have been you know taken a few lives, unfortunately, and houses on the east coast. Unfortunately. There, there must be a lack of connection with the Indigenous stories of fire and, and the, the traditional practices of how fire was maintained and, and controlled. Um, that's I, I'm, I'm just taking a, a guess there. Um, but over here, and, and I can only speak about our region, but we've got a, a wonderful working relationship with uh, our ranger groups, so our, you know, our state government Ranger groups work very, very closely with uh, indigenous traditional owner groups and elders, um, and they combine the, uh, the, our traditional ecological knowledge with Western science and, and, and uh, you know, the ranger groups, what they've learned through their training. And so we bring that together, and this is where, in our area, we have a very, very dense wattle scrub. It gets really, really dry perfect for bushfires to take over our country. Um, but we do cool burn-offs, um, and this is the time of year that we're doing it, actually. So we've got a few burnt, um, scarred areas around town, um, but that is typical of this time of year because it's cooler, the winds are cooler, um, they're not out, out of out of control, they're not hot winds. So they, they these fires can be burnt and controlled. Um Obviously, that's that's also got to do with safety um, of the town and 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 parks and so on. But it's also got to do with the rejuvenation of, of seeds and and spreading that all that sort of stuff too. So um, we see it every year. It's they've they've done it very well now that we haven't had any sort of major uh, incidents around fires around you know houses being threatened or so on. Um, not that I, I, I can't recall any deaths that have occurred because of fires up here um, in, in recent times. Anyway, so it's just been a. Obviously, it works, um, and and this is what happens when our culture comes together with Western science and 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 practices.
0: At the time of recording right now, it is the end of May, 2021. Where's travel headed? How are things going in terms of the pandemic and, and things like that just to give uh people a sense of hey what's going on in in your region can we can we come visit is it cool how, how safe is it all that good stuff yeah so we are in late may in broome um it's a very exciting time
2: um one because it starts to cool down and the env- the, the, the weather starts to get absolutely perfect hardly any clouds um a nice soft easterly breeze occurs around this time and we start to head into what we call Bargana season and Bargana is the coldest time of our seasons. But we start to anticipate a lot of good fishing. We've got a lot of travellers coming to Broome. A lot of social events start to occur around this time of year as well. So we've got the, the races, the first race round, horse racing. Um, this Saturday we've got uh, several different well, there was a festival on uh, on the weekend. Uh, there's so many uh, live, big live performances. A lot of visitors are coming up here, so there's lots of music festivities going on. Um, my tours are fully booked, um, and, I, and I'd probably say that means everybody else is fully booked as well. Um, so we've got lots of visitors coming in from interstate. Uh, obviously, now our interstate borders have opened up and we can get a lot of interstate people who missed out last year. Uh, so we're getting probably a massive influx of people coming through and even from the rest of the state as well. So a lot of people from, from WA are still popping up here as well. Uh, this is the time to be in Broome and, and get in early. You should have booked a probably back in December last year just in case because I, I believe the resorts... Um, the restaurants they're you know
0: they're very busy at the moment very busy so it's a busy time in Broome. it's a place that is warm pretty much all of the time right mostly i mean we yeah. you know in the in june july august um
2: that is the coldest time of our of our entire year um so on the back ends of both of those it's pretty warm and it gets around the wet season we not many people like to come in. It's very humid and, and four up in the 40 degree mark uh, 42s mm-hmm. and 44s um, but coming in the next three months, it sits around eh, sometimes 27 to 30 um, at nights can get down to 12, 16 degrees. It's a perfect weather and that's why we have
0: thousands upon thousands of people coming to bed well it's rainy and cold here in Norway, so all that sounds great to me uh, <laughs> any Any last words of wisdom for travelers coming to visit Australia?
2: Um, I think australia uh, we're starting to work out now, even through cinema um, through through government through education um, we're starting to see that the indigenous story is coming out you know people are are seeking an indigenous narrative um, and it's and I think now that we're we're, we're sort of we want to see more indigenous tourism. I support all the indigenous tourism operators in broome. I think what we, we have the same values we have the same vision and including the state we want to make a platform we have to be responsible for providing that platform to share our narrative to get it across to people in in a fun engaging sometimes um, amazing way, and and get people to truly appreciate this wonderful ancient culture of Indigenous Australia. Uh, we we have the, this is the opportunity now uh, that we are able to do that. We've got native title movements that are empowering a lot of our people to access the country and get back to the country, um, and and now be able to operate their own work, their own industry their own product on their country and so that's where we should be going and if if they if they ever go to a town or city um for visitors if they're ever out of town or city or even traveling but to one um keep an eye out for an indigenous experience and uh and and take it because uh, you're you're connecting with a an ancestral product if you like um you know it might be our first product and our and you know our first job in some cases, but the actual content is thousands of years old and uh, and and is belonging to our
0: family, our ancestors yeah, when you think about it that way, that's really powerful. <laughs> Those are great words of wisdom to end on, I believe, and I uh, really appreciate your your time today, Bart, and hope that we get a chance to. Kind of walk through the mangroves together in person Definitely. at some point. <laughs> I'd love
2: that. <laughs> I, I might do a uh, I might do a, uh, a virtual tour for you and send it off to you. Oh, I'd love it. <laughs> the problem is, you can't you can't smell and taste what I'm smelling and tasting. That's
0: no, it. that's the thing. You know, I can't take the fresh seafood and put it on the fire that's, right there. But uh, we'll get there. We'll yeah. get there. All right, thank you so much.
2: No worries. Thanks, Jason. Take care. See you, man.
0: There you have it wonderful trip i hope you enjoyed coming along and maybe you're ready to plan your trip to australia i know i am i'm feeling pumped up and what a what a great experience to be able to have these conversations and to share them with you so i want to thank once again tourism australia for setting this up supporting this show again go to australia.com for any trip planning resources, advice, all that good stuff, Australia.com. And I will also leave Bart and Auntie Marg's websites there in the show notes. Be so cool to go see them in person and take one of their tours. You can uh, find their work over at DreamTimeSouthernX.com.au for Auntie Marg. And Bart, once again, is toursbroom.com.au. I'm going to leave you with an Aboriginal Australian saying and it's this. Keep your eyes on the sun and you will not see the shadows. Thank you once again. Hope you enjoyed the show. Until next time, peace and love.
1: This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.